All right, I want to preach a message to you. The title of the message is You're Gonna Make It. Turn to someone next and say, You're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. Psalm 31, verse 15, David said, My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies and from those who pursue me. David was a man who was so content and confident in God's purpose for his life. David was able to stay in peace even when he was in the valley of the shadow of death. David was able to keep his head above the storms he was walking through, even when his own king, his father-in-law, Saul, was throwing spears at him. While David was walking through all kinds of mess and all kinds of trouble and crisis and circumstances, in fact, there was even a plague during David's time. It would be similar to the coronavirus. It was a plague that killed tens of thousands of people, and yet David had this peace in the midst of all of that, and he would constantly go back to these journal thoughts that he would write down that now we read as the book of Psalms. And he would say things like, Lord, my times are in your hands. Lord, I trust in you. Even when my soul feels discouraged, even when the world is shaking around me, God, I look to you. You're my rock. You're my refuge, my fortress, my shelter, my strong tower. And my prayer for you today is that this message would remind you, you have a God who's going to get you through the season you're walking through right now. We have a God in heaven who is worthy to be trusted, who cares about us. When my father passed away 11 years ago, our church was going through a really tough time. When he passed away, thousands of people left the church. And I remember watching my mom step in as the interim pastor. And I remember at that time being 24 years old and having just got married and really wanting my dad to be around to just teach me what it means to be a husband and, and to be beside me there. And, and, and I remember those just times during that first year, first couple years of watching families leave the church and all these discouraging things around me. And yet in that time, I remember God just speaking to my heart in the stillness of the night, in the middle of depression, in the middle of discouragement, Paul, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Don't forget you're going to make it. You're going to get through this. When people have no hope, they have no vision for their future. When people don't believe they're going to make it, they start making really bad decisions trying to figure out how to cope with the stress of life. I believe I'm on divine assignment this weekend to remind a man in the room, a woman in the room, you are a woman who's watching in her home right now, a mom who's watching from home right now, a father who's watching, a son, a daughter, you're going to make it. Just take a deep breath, release it out. I'm going to make it. Yesterday, I ran a half marathon, and I kind of walked slash ran it. Um, I think we got some pictures. My wife joined me for the last mile. She was there to cheer me on, and when she didn't see me crossing that finish line for a while, she went off to go find me. And so she found me in that final mile, and she ran with me, and there's my oldest son, Liam, running with me. It was a big accomplishment for me, but here's the reason why. In, um, in January, at the start of this year, I wrote some goals down. How many wrote some goals down in January? And then 2020 happened. 
and you're, <laughs> it's like one thing after another. Did you know that the Sahara Desert blew a windstorm into the United States of America yesterday? I'm not kidding. I was trying to figure out why is it so foggy outside? How many of y'all saw that on the news? This, like one more thing to add on to 2020. Um, I, I've been looking at the memes that people have been putting out online. One of the memes that just has me laughing so hard. There's this woman and she's looking out at the sky and the meme says, I wonder which chapter of Revelation we're going to experience today in 2020. Because it feels crazy, right? And so at the start of 2020, I had these goals and one of my goals was to run a half marathon. And, and so... Uh, March 1st, I was in a basketball tournament and I injured my right ankle really bad. And so I wasn't able to run at all during this whole uh, time that we've been in quarantine and gradually coming out of quarantine. Uh, I haven't been able to run. I haven't been able to train. I've barely been able to just walk normal or preach normal on the foot. I kind of pressed through. And then four days ago, it dawned on me that race that I had signed up for a year ago was happening on Saturday, which was yesterday. Whenever you're watching this, it was whatever yesterday was. <laughs> I don't even know what day it is now. <laughs> How many of y'all are just like trying to keep your head together in the middle of COVID-19 to figure out what day you're in, what time it is? And so I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I haven't trained. It's 13.1 miles. I don't know if I can do this, but I told myself no excuses. I am going to press in and go for it. So yesterday I started running. My ankle started hurting. It was painful. And, and then older people started passing me. People who were in their 80s started passing me. And then younger people who were like nine years old started passing me. And I was trying to defend myself. I was like, I'm actually faster than you, but I hurt my ankle. I just want you to know I can actually run faster than you. And they're like, okay, Pastor Paul, good luck. You know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I promise you I'm better than this, you know. And, and then I stopped defending myself. I stopped making excuses. And I decided I've got to finish this race. I've got to get through this. And I think once we make that decision, whatever we're walking through, once we, the battle is between the ears, the battle for your victory, the battle for your breakthrough, the battle for getting through this storm is not one out here, it's one in here. If you can win it in here, you can win it out there. I remember when I was a kid and when my parents were first starting the church and they got a vision to build a dream center in North Tulsa an area where Black Wall Street once was and there had been a race massacre and they decided we want to be a part of bringing healing and restoration in this city and we want to partner with other churches in North Tulsa and build this dream center. People said, you know, you guys don't need to be out here. Y'all don't need to do that. And, and my dad was praying for land. And so he began to pray and he drove us to a part of North Tulsa and he said, what do you guys see? I said, I see grass, I see ants, I see trash. And he said, I see a dream center one day. I see a, a 10,000 square foot. I see a gymnasium over there. And then I see a 20,000 square foot area over there where we're going to have a feeding pantry and we're going to have clothes and we're going to have after school care and computer labs. We're going to have a baseball field over here and we're going to have a, a church service over here. We're going to minister to people and help people in different areas. And he began to say it and I said, I don't see it. And he said, well, you got to see it in here before you see it out there. And sure enough, Within the next year, 
We got the land and we've been there for 20 years making an impact in North Tulsa. We just announced this last week. It's amazing. All the North Tulsa churches working together at the Tulsa Dream Center. We said this is the North Tulsa Dream Center. It's not Victory's Dream Center. This is dedicated for anyone who wants to be a part. So Baptists and Methodists and even Unitarians, all different tribes and religions have come and been a part of serving that part. It's changed the crime rates. It's changed the effects in North Tulsa. It's changing. It's bringing hope in that area. It's bringing reconciliation in that area. But you know what he said? You got to see it in here before you see it out there. You got to win it in here before you win it out there. Somebody say, I'm going to make it. The vision in your heart, the dream that God's stirring in your heart, get it in your spirit. You're going to make it. Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, he who started this work in you will be faithful to complete it. God is going to get you through this. About eight years ago, I was on a mission trip to Mexico. And I was by myself. I was going to meet up with my wife and the team that was already there. I had to stay back to preach our weekend services and then fly out Sunday afternoon um, to catch a flight to Mexico City and then catch a flight to Oaxaca, which is the southern part of Mexico, where we were at. And so I'm flying by myself. I land in Mexico City. Right when I get there, all the flights had been canceled out of there. And I said, okay, what should I do to get some help? So I go to one of the people at the desk and I said, um, can you help me? And they said, Espanol. I said, Inglés. And they said, Espanol. I said, uh, yo es muy, I necesito. I was like literally speaking broken Spanglish, just trying to get through this. And they're laughing at me. And I'm like, don't laugh at me. I'm trying hard. They were like gringo, funny gringo. And I was like, come on. Like I'm trying my best. And there was a barrier there. And so they say, we're not going to be able to fly you out for another two days. I said, I don't have anywhere to stay. And they said, well, you'll have to stay somewhere in Mexico City. I said, well, I'm supposed to be there. I, I got to be there. I found someone who could speak English. Her name was Alejandra. I said, could you, could you help me? I'm supposed to preach at a Bible college dedication tomorrow morning. I have, to, I have to get there tonight in order to be there for the service in the morning. And she said, I'm going to try, Pablo. I will try. I said, okay. So then she said, let's go and get your bag. We got to get your bag. I said, where do I go? So we go to the baggage claim and my bag wasn't there. And, and I said, where, where would my bag be? And she said, well, every year over 10,000 pieces of luggage get lost in Mexico City. She said, yours must be one of those 10,000. I said, so how do we find this? Because I put my laptop in my suitcase and it has all my sermons and journals and a book I had been working on. I said, I gotta find that suitcase. It means a lot to me. And she said, I'm sorry, Pablo. It's somewhere in Mexico City. I said, well, can we, can we go and look for it somewhere? And she said, well, we just decided there's a flight you can get on that will get you to another town, but it leaves in one hour. From that town, you will have to get a rental car or a moped, and then you will drive to the town you're supposed to be in. I was like, okay, that's great, but I got to get my suitcase. She said, we will try. And I said, okay, well, where do we go? And so we went to this warehouse and there was literally thousands of suitcases in this warehouse, probably some of yours that you lost on some of your trips. If you've ever lost a suitcase, it's probably in Mexico City in this warehouse. And it was stacked high, tons of suitcases. She said, it's somewhere in here. I was like, okay. That's like trying to find a needle in a haystack, right? And she said, I don't know what to do, Pablo, but you've got to go ahead. I said, how, how do I trust that you're going to find the suitcase and that I'm going to get on the flight? And she said, I know a guy. 
I said, who? She said, I know a guy who can help you. And I was like, well, who, how do I find him? She was like, I will go get him. And here was the other problem. When I left to go and find the bag, I had walked outside of customs and I did not have any identification to get back in. And I had left my wallet. I made a lot of mistakes on that trip. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have my wallet. I didn't have my identification. And so I tell Alejandra, I'm like, please, I don't want to be stranded in Mexico City. I don't want to be a part of the cartel. I got to get out of here. You know, and I'm like trying, I'm like thinking about Paul the Apostle who spent all his years in jail and I'm going to spend years in jail with the cartel and I'm going to become a drug lord and it's going to get crazy and I'll never see my wife again. I didn't know what was going to happen. They're going to stuff me with drugs and send me a car. I don't know. I was, I was coming up with all these crazy things. So Alejandro was like, don't worry about it, Pablo. This guy will help you. I kid you not, she goes and she gets this guy and she brings this guy to me. And she says, here's the man who will help you, Pablo. And his name tag said, Jesus. I said, are you Jesus? He said, Jesus. I said, thank you, Jesus. She said, and, and, and the man said, Jesus is here to help you. I was like, thank you, Jesus, I need you. And he's like, I will get you to the place you need to get to. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Jesus always gets me to the place I need to get to. And he said, and I will find you your suitcase and you will make it and you will preach tomorrow. And I was like, come on, Jesus, that's what I need. <laughs> he's like, Jesus is here to help you. So sure enough, Jesus got me through. Jesus found my suitcase. I got on the airplane. I was able to get there. I was able to preach preached the sermon to the people, and it was so powerful. I found my wife. I found our team. I was so thankful. Somebody say, you're going to make it. But right as I was preaching, we were sitting right there on the coast of Mexico, Oaxaca, and I was preaching, and I was thinking what it took to get there. And as I was preaching, a tropical storm began to form right there on the coast of Oaxaca. feels like 2020, just one thing after another. And this tropical storm turned into a hurricane category three. And they said, we've got to get off the coast because their missions base was on the coast. The church was right there on the coast in one of the poorest areas in Mexico, Oaxaca. And they said, we got to get off the coast, but there's no hotel here for you guys. So you guys are going to stay in this rock hut over here that's about 100 feet away from the ocean. And so we were all thinking, how are we going to survive this? It is literally sitting next to the ocean and it was a rock hut. It was literally just, you know, kind of made, it was very, it wasn't a hotel. And they said, just get inside there and pray that this hurricane does not get worse. Sure enough, it got worse. I'm going to come back to that story in just a moment. But there's a moment in Paul's life in Acts 27, Paul, the apostle who wrote half the new Testament and it was in that time that he went through a storm himself. He went through a storm that was so big it was going to kill him and everyone on the boat. And God gave Paul a word in the middle of that storm. And the word was, you're going to make it. We're going to get through this. Not one of you will die. We're going to get through this storm. I want to speak this over someone right now. You are going to make it. You're going to get through this storm. But you've got to get your hope and your peace back in the Lord. God will give you a word in the middle of your storm. God promises that there are set times for our future that God holds our lives in the palm of his hand. My question for you today is, do you trust God that you're gonna get through this season? Do you have hope that God will pull you through? Who or what is stirring the stress in your life? Who or what is stirring the panic, the fear? Right when COVID-19 hit, it felt like that first week, the whole world ran out of toilet paper. 
and we don't know why, but everyone needed toilet paper that first week. How many of y'all remember that? My wife and I went to the store to find it and it was gone. The shelves were empty. There was a fear, panic, frenzy the first week of COVID-19. Feels like that was 10 years ago. That was just 13 weeks ago. And our world continues to stir the fear. Stir the fear, stir the panic, stir the worry, stir up the divisiveness. Because if the enemy can get us afraid, if the enemy can get us divided, he's in no hurry to destroy us. If he can just get us confused and foggy. You know, a fog that covers eight street blocks, a fog that covers almost an entire area of Oklahoma City. That fog can fit into a glass. If you were to condense that fog into water itself, it can fit into a, a, a six ounce glass of water can cover eight street blocks of a town with fog. This is what the enemy does. He makes things bigger than they actually are. So he tries to weigh us down with fear. It's gonna kill me. It's gonna kill my kids. It's gonna kill my parents. It's gonna kill my grandparents. It's gonna kill all of us. We're all gonna die. We're not gonna make it. The sky is falling. There's no way we're getting through this. We might as well all just eat each other and turn into cannibals. Y'all are like, who did Pastor Herbert invite this Sunday? This guy's insane. What I'm saying is the enemy gets us in a frenzy of panic and crazy fear and stress and anxiety and we stop believing we're gonna get through this. I came to preach and proclaim to you today, you are alive, you have a purpose, your best days are still in front of you, God is not finished with you yet, you're gonna make it, your kids are gonna make it, your family's gonna make it. See Job, when Job was being attacked left and right, he wrote in Job 19, my redeemer still lives and I will see the hand of the Lord in my future. This is not how my story ends. You need to proclaim to the devil today. This is not how my story ends. This is not my final chapter. This is not the final scene for America. We're going to get through this. We're going to see revival in Oklahoma. We're going to see revival in the United States of America. We're going to see God turn things around. But there's always that voice in our head that says, don't get your hopes up. It's going to get worse. It's going to get really bad. Can I tell you something? Even if the world gets darker, the church is going to shine brighter. Even if the enemy picks up all of his tactics and we get closer to the book of Revelation being fulfilled, can I tell you what the book of Revelation says about the church? It says that the church is going to shine bright, that the church is going to have a marriage supper of the Lamb, that the church is going to come with Jesus on a white horse and reign for a thousand years, and he's going to make all things new, and cancer disappears, and tears disappear, and divorce disappears, and darkness disappears, and sin and addictions disappear, and fear disappears. So when I say our best days are in front of us, I literally mean biblically, our best days are in front of us. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. So why would I live in fear and paranoia and anxiety? God's got me. God's got you. You're going to make it. Habakkuk chapter two, verse three says, the vision awaits for an appointed time. It will not lie. If it hastens to the end, if it seems slow, wait for it. If your breakthrough hasn't happened yet, and you might say, well, how long do I have to wait? I wonder if Habakkuk said that, God, I know you're telling me that there's a future vision that's good, but how long? How long do I have to, how long is COVID-19 gonna last? How long are the spikes gonna come back and forth? How can I trust our president, our vice president, our governor? How do I trust Dr. Fauci? Where do I turn? What's, what's happening and how long do we have to get through this? And God says, wait for it. 
trust me. And while you wait, don't wait in fear. And while you're waiting for the vision to come to pass, while you're waiting for your victory, while you're waiting for the breakthrough in your marriage, while you're waiting for your kids to turn around, while you're waiting to get through this season, wait with hope. Wait with trust. Wait with the belief that God has the best timing for you. My friend Chad, he came to Tulsa, Oklahoma from Portland, Oregon 15 years ago, and he came to go to Oral Roberts University, and while he was there, he was just so focused on finding a wife. And after his freshman year went by, sophomore year, junior year, he never found a really good, a girl that would date him or a, a, he would date a girl, but she wasn't the right girl. And he graduated and he wasn't married. When he graduated in 2008 was when the housing market crashed. He was searching for jobs. He was applying everywhere and he wasn't finding any jobs. And I remember him coming to our church and I sat with him at the altar and I said, Chad, how are you doing? He said, man, I'm just discouraged I don't know if I'll ever get hired anywhere. I don't know if I'll ever get married. I just feel like my world is crashing. I just am discouraged. I got $100,000 of student loans. I've got to figure out how I'm going to pay someday. I'm in all this debt. I've got debt on my credit cards. I've got, I just don't see a future. I don't see a future. I don't see a hope. I don't have a vision. Am I going to make it? I said, Chad, you're going to make it. How do you know that, Paul? Why would you give me false hope? How do you know I'm going to make it? I said, Chad, because I know who your God is. Well, how do you know that my God cares about me? Because the word of God says it. Well, how do you know the word of God is true? Haven't you read the newspapers? Haven't you seen the headlines? Don't you know that the economy is just, just crud right now? How am I gonna, how do you know the word of God is true? Can I tell you the word of God has outlasted every economy. The word of God has outlasted Dr. Fauci. The word of God has outlasted every virus. The word of God has outlasted every president, every vice president, every law that's been passed, the Roman empire, the, the word of God stands firm till the end. If there's one thing you can trust, if there's one who you can trust in, it is the word of God. If there's one thing you get from this message, hold on to God's word. Everyone who builds a house on sand collapses. I remember five years ago, I was with my wife and kids and we were swimming in the ocean and I looked up from the ocean and I saw all these houses on the sand, all these nice hotels. We were in Florida and I remember looking at it and I heard God say, everything you see is collapsible. Everything you see that was built by man, it's collapsible. And he said, don't put your trust in chariots or horses. Don't put your trust in houses. Don't put your trust in man-made things. Keep your trust in the Lord. Can I tell you what's happening right now in America? Idols are being crushed. Idols are being exposed. Where the world has put our hope in our bank accounts. The world has put our hope in all of these things and God's saying, put your hope in me. I got you. You're going to make it. Don't put your hope in your Roth IRA. Don't put your hope in your 401k. Don't put your hope in your company. Don't put your hope in your house. Don't put your hope in a man. Put your hope in the purpose and the plans of God because it will never let you down. And I told Chad, you're going to make it. Within six months, Chad found a job. Within six months of working at that job, they began to promote him. As they promoted him, he said, Paul, what should I do? I, I, I don't know if I can tithe. I don't know if I can give with this money because I need every penny to pay off all my debt. I said, Chad, trust God. What does God's word say? 
Well, God's word says put him to the test. I said, Chad, start with a percentage that you just give to God and see what God does. As he began to tithe, God began to bless him in his company. Within a year and a half, he was making over $100,000 at the company. Within three years, he became the main supervisor. He was the highest paid employee besides the vice presidents of the company. While he was doing that, he was working in the college ministry in our church. He was 28, 29. He was serving as a volunteer. He was giving, faithfully giving, and little by little, he was paying off his debt, paying off his student loans when he met this girl, Stacy. Stacy was also a, a volunteer in the youth group. Come on, when you get in God's house and God's plan, God starts to align your steps and his purpose begins to be fulfilled. And somebody say, I'm gonna make it. Your son is gonna make it. Your daughter's gonna make it. Your dad's gonna make it. Your mom's gonna make it. But you gotta get back in God's word. So him and Stacy started dating and I got to do their wedding and I remember doing their wedding and my wife and I did their wedding and within three years, they paid off all their student loans in their early, at age 31, they were completely debt-free, paid off all their student loans, paid off all their credit cards. Then right after that, pride started to sneak in. They had problems in their marriage. They were about to get a divorce and they got back to the altar. Can I tell you, you can never drift too far from God for God to pull you back into his house. You're gonna get through this. When they came back to the altar, God began to heal their marriage. God restored their marriage. They thought they would never have kids. The doctor said, you guys are, it's, it's biologically impossible for you guys to have kids. It's not gonna happen scientifically. Can't happen. And sure enough, today they have two children by a miracle power. God can do the impossible. God can do the impossible. But while we wait, we've got to learn to wait with hope. My question to you is, do you trust God right now while you're in this process, while you're in this storm, that God's going to get you through this? Isaiah 14, 24 says, it will happen exactly as God has planned it. That God says, what I have intended to happen, it will come to pass. God has a purpose for your life. That no demon in hell, no virus from hell, no economic downturn can stop what God has in store for his kids. He Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, I will not, I will not fail you in any way. We have a God who's not giving up on us, who's not giving up on his purpose. There was a young African-American girl named Gabby Douglas. She was the first girl to uh, perform in the Olympics as a 14-year-old. How many of y'all remember Gabby Douglas? And so Gabby, she was in the Olympics and, and the news reporters were trying to get to her. And they finally found her uh, at the main Olympic area right as she was getting ready to perform. And they said, how are you doing? Are you nervous? Are you stressed? She said, no, I'm not nervous at all. And they said, but you're so young and, and you're the first one to do this. And, and she said, I'm not afraid. They said, how are you not afraid? She said, because as the Olympians, we have a place called the Olympic Village. And she said, in the Olympic Village, we're protected from you guys. And they said, us? She said, yeah, the media. She said, you guys can't get near us. She said, so for the last six weeks, I've been in the Olympic Village. So I haven't been paying attention to the news. I haven't been watching what all the media is saying. I don't even know what you guys are saying. I'm not afraid. I haven't been reading the comments. I'm here to do the best I can. She went out there and did incredible. I think we would do better if we stopped watching all the news stations and reading all the comments and we got into that Olympic village, the presence of God, when the presence of God, we're protected from the fear and the political divisiveness that the media wants to stir up in our spirits. We're not watching what the economy's doing, we're watching what God's doing. We're staying focused on our purpose. We're keeping our head above the problems that are going on right here. 
Because the enemy wants us down here while he's passing laws up here, while he's doing agendas up here. He doesn't want us up here because if we get up here, we start to see what's really going on. We got to lift our head up to see, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to make it. God is on the throne. Second Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. We've got to learn to start walking with faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not yet seen. So back to that trip in Mexico, the hurricane came and it turned into a category three and we huddled into this small rock hut spot, this mission base that we were at. And there was 40 people on our team and my wife and I, we had a room, but because that room, because there wasn't enough space to, to escape the hurricane, everyone huddled into the same few rooms together. So there was a, a, a big group of us all huddled in a room and the hurricane caused all of the bats that were in all of that part of Mexico to fly and huddle with us into that rock hut. So there was bats flapping all around. It was scary. I thought Batman was about to show up. There was so many bats all around. And then we were in the eye of the storm and the eye of the hurricane. It's so peaceful. It's the center of the hurricane. As it began to blow, trees began to fall. Trees were flying in front of us. We could see out our window. There was a window from this rock hut. We were on the third floor. It was a, it was a three-story rock, like just building. And I remember looking out that window. The water rose, filled up the first floor. The water rose and started to fill up the second floor. We couldn't leave for three days. We were stuck there. We had peanut butter and jelly and bread. And we just ate that all day, every day and prayed for the hurricane to pass. Sure enough, it passed. We began to think, what are we here to do? We had this whole mission trip plan. We were gonna minister to people. And I remember hearing this, this word from God. God said, I'm gonna use you guys to be a part of the relief team. What you had planned before has changed. The hurricane changed our purpose. It changed our plans for the better. It shifted us from being there just to do dramas and just to minister at churches to now we were there to change lives. We were there to feed the hungry. We were there to help those that had been destroyed by the hurricane. Can I tell you that God is using his church in this hour in such a profound way. What the enemy meant to take out the church is going to explode the church. What the enemy meant to take out your business is going to explode your business in an even greater way. God's about to give you creative ideas in the midst of the hurricane, in the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of 2020. God has positioned you like Esther for such a time as this. Come on, if you believe it, give God some praise this morning. We begin to serve the streets. We went to the prisons and the jails that were really affected. We found families that had lost loved ones from the hurricane. We were able to comfort them, pray with them, sit with them, cry with them. We were able to drop off rice and beans and, and bring help and bring Jesus. And people said, how did you know we would need this? We said, we didn't know. We were just in the middle of the storm with you. We were right there. We were in the hurricane too. And God used us. No one could fly in during that time. No one could fly out for, for a week and a half. Everything changed. And yet God had strategically placed us for such a time as this to serve those people. When it finally came time for us to leave and we were able to fly out, we had to drive 12 hours through the mountains of Mexico to get to an airport that we could actually get on a plane and get back home. And while we were driving through those mountains, there was a drug cartel group that put a blockade in the road. They had fire and they had machetes and machine guns and they blocked the whole road. It was backed up for miles and our bus was right at the front. 
they began walking down the road with their machine guns and machetes. And my wife and I, we were the young adult pastors. We had 38 people on the bus with us and we were not sure what to do. And they start shouting and screaming, there's Americans in here, there's Americans in here. Get them off the bus. And so we kept the bus doors closed and they're outside the bus shouting at us. They've got machine guns, machetes, there's fire uh, blocking the road. You can't go anywhere. There's cars behind us, cars in front of us. They were in a revolt against the governmental leaders. There was a cartel basically uh, wanting to change laws that had been happening in Mexico. And they decided they were gonna hold up this entire highway. And so there we were, we're sitting there and two hours go by and we know our flight's about to happen in, in, in just a few hours and we're still an hour away from the airport and we're trying to figure out what to do. It's been one thing after another, one thing after another. And so our team started thinking, what can we do? And me and a group of guys, we said, let's make some weapons. Let's go attack the cartel together. I got slingshots. We're gonna make our own clubs. We, I literally, I'm like, a, I'm like a superhero guy. I love watching the movies and I'm like, I've seen this in the movies. I know what to do. We're gonna sneak up behind and we're gonna ambush the bad guys. And you know, I had all these plans. And my wife was like, why don't we pray? Because prayer gets your spirit in a place of seeing beyond what the enemy's trying to do. Why don't we pray? In 2 Kings chapter 6, there was a moment where this enemy army had surrounded Elisha and his servant. And the servant woke up in the middle of the night and said, we're going to die. We're surrounded by enemy armies. We're going to die. This is the end of the story. This is how it ends for us. And Elisha said, no, son, we're not going to die. Because what you don't see is there's a greater army that's protecting us than the enemy that's surrounding us. There's more for us than those that are against us. And he said, no, 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 we're gonna die. You can read this, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. He says, we're gonna die, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. We're surrounded by problems all around us. You got COVID-19, you got the shutdown, you got the political divisiveness, the media saying this, things happening and, and we don't know what to do and, and we're all trying to figure it out and we're surrounded by confusion and hate and hurt and things that need to change. And, what are we gonna do? And Elisha said, oh Lord, I pray that you would open his eyes. I pray that you would lift his eyes above what he's seen in the natural so that he could see in the supernatural. See, in order for us to get peace, in order for us to know that we're gonna make it, we gotta get a different perspective than what CNN saying, what Fox News is saying, what MSNBC is saying, what President Trump's saying, what Dr. Fauci's saying. No offense to any of those voices, but we need to get back to the voice of God. We're looking everywhere except for up and we gotta get our heads up if we're gonna make it. And so he says, lift up your eyes. Lord, open his eyes to see what you're doing. And all of a sudden he began to see horses and chariots, the God of angel armies, and then Elisha began to pray, oh God, oh God, change the situation. We're hopeless without prayer. But once we begin to pray, once we begin to praise, those are weapons against the enemy. We are facing an invisible enemy, but we have an invisible God that is greater than the invisible enemy. We are facing a virus. In fact, the news said, I love this, Dr. Dr. Fauci, who's the scientist, he said, this is an old virus, but it's a new thread. It's a new thread of an old virus. It is the flu, it's just a new version of the flu. 
can I tell you that we still have the same old enemy that was around in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve, trying to get them to stop believing in God, trying to get them to doubt God's power, doubt God's ability, doubt God's word, doubt God's promises. It's an old enemy with a new tactic. It's an old foe with a new thread, a new way to try to scare the church, a new way to try to silence Christians, a new way to get people divided and angry and offended and break down barriers and break down love with one another. But I'm telling you, we have a God who's greater than this virus, a God who's greater than racism, who's greater than prejudice, who's greater than the division that's being stirred in our country. And our nation needs change. Our nation needs healing. But the only way it's going to get healed is if we look to God is if we get our eyes back on God and we begin to pray. As our team started praying, we started singing. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the name above all names. As we started worshiping, as we started praying, that barricade, I kid you not, we had been sitting there for four hours. That barricade began to break down. Those rep, those, uh, the cartel began to run off into the woods. They ran off into the woods. People started pushing down the barrels of fire. I don't know what happened. I never saw the government show up, but all of a sudden cars started moving. Our bus got out of there. We were able to fly back. What I'm saying is your breakthrough is connected to your praise and worship. It's connected to your prayer. I want to pray for you right now. Lord, I pray for people's church. I thank you that today, God, you're reminding every person in this room Whatever they're facing, they're going to make it.